Good morning. Did everybody get a uh, Lord's Supper uh, communion cup? Don't dig it out. I just want to know if you got one. You don't need it right yet. I just want to make sure everybody got one. You'll need it at the end. We'll do things just a little bit different. You know, we're kind of known for that around here. Um, from time to time, we just kind of get a little whim and, and do things a little different. That way, nothing gets to be out of uh, habit. And obviously... Um, you know, Chris got up here and started on the wrong song. Y'all see that? Y'all see him get up here and start on one thing, and everybody else is looking around. Every, all, the other three are going, <laughs> and he has no clue. And all of a sudden, we think you're in the wrong place. Well, <clears throat> you know, that happens to every one of us. And it happened to me this morning as well. Um, and unless I tell you about it, you don't have any idea when it happens to me. Um, Last week, Chris McAllister come up and asked me they had missed uh, communion the week before and uh, just, you know, slipped their minds and didn't get done, whatever. We usually do it the fourth Sunday. And he asked me, did it want him to, and we was about ready to start. And I said, no, don't rush around and try to make it happen. Just we'll cover it next week. And my thought process was I'll, that'll give me a week to prepare because we haven't done a message on the Lord's Supper in a while, and we've had some new folks come in, and we want everybody to have an understanding. So I, I would prepare a message, so before we do the communion, we would do that message on it. Well, I forgot about that. So I studied all week on something else, and I come in this morning, and Ralph was at the door, and he goes, you want, he said, you want me to take care of the communion this morning? Chris called and said, he's not going to be here. I can take care of it. And I first went, no, let's wait a week. And I thought, no. No, we're not going to wait a week. We're going to do it. So um, I told him to go ahead and hand them out. So if it looks to you like I don't have any notes on this whatsoever, that's a right perception. But this is not something that I'm unfamiliar with or don't know anything about or whatever. So y'all just bear with me as we feel our way through it this morning. What I, My purpose, again, is to make sure that everybody has an understanding of what we're doing before we do it. Um, because, you know, a lot of these things we just do because they're traditional. You were raised up in a church where that happened and one day they allowed you to do it and you've done it and you've done it ever since. Well, none of these things that God institutes for us to do as Christians should be because it's traditional. It should be because we understand what He's instructed and we want to follow those instructions and be obedient. Well, the only way you can be obedient is for you to have an understanding of what the instruction is. Um, and, I, and we find it very important around here to question things from time to time. Um, we got into that discussion again this morning in Sunday school about a class where Kevin and I decided we were going to question what we believed. And it wasn't the most popular thing to do and everybody around here that knew it was going on wasn't really happy about it. We were really young guys and, and didn't really have any authority whatsoever. We was just Sunday school teachers and we decided to question what we believe and why we believe it. And we just took all the subjects and all the things that we could think of and we sat down with our Bibles and we made a Sunday school class out of it probably one of the most growing times in my spiritual life because I had to question things that my parents had taught me. I had to question things that other pastors had taught me. But when we came to something in Scripture that didn't line up with what we had been taught, we were assured that the Scripture wasn't wrong. So we had to make some adjustments along the way. And one of those subjects was the Lord's Supper. Why do we do the Lord's Supper? What, what do we believe about it and why do we believe that? So we had to get down to the roots of the Lord's Supper and figure out 
what the Bible says about it. Not what we'd always been taught, not what tradition teaches us, not what the Baptists say or the Methodists say or the church. None of that matters. What does God say about it? And I remember very distinctly that this was one of the first ones that struck out to me and I went, wow, I had no idea why I was doing that. Had no clue. So I don't want anybody else to ever have to go through that. I want you to know what you're doing and know that what we do as a church, we're doing our best to be obedient to God. That's the only reason we should do it. Not because we always have. I hate that statement. When you ask somebody, well, why do y'all? And they go, well, we always have. Well, okay. That's not a good answer. It should be because you understand what God has called you to do and you want to be obedient to Him. So this is a part of that. Um, again, I haven't spent a lot of time on it um, this week. I have in the past, but not this particular week. And um, I couldn't find the notes for it if I wanted to. So I'll be just kind of going through this and we'll be walking through it this morning. But if you would turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to take on Paul's um, teaching on this matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So Chris, you're not the only one that started in the wrong place, just so you know. Um, I started in the wrong... I got a cool sermon wrote up, but I'm afraid it ain't the one that I'm supposed to be preaching, so we're going to leave it lay for now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll start in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you to be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate, humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat, this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. 
But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do come to you to say thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together this morning in this place to study your word. Father, I, I pray for your guidance and your direction throughout our, our message this morning. I pray, Father, that my opinions, my thoughts, my ideas would be bound up, Father, and everything that comes out of my mouth would be glorifying to you and, and your name and your word and your kingdom. Father, we pray for those that aren't able to be with us this morning. We ask for your um, healing hand upon those that are suffering. We ask, Father, for um, guidance for those who just choose not to be gathered um, among their brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. Father, I just ask for you to uh, allow us to see and feel your presence in all that we say and do. I thank you, Father, for the worship we've had this morning, for the opportunity to worship you through music. I, I thank you for, for the courage that it takes to get up here and do that. Father, I thank you for our, our praise team and, and what they mean to us. I just pray, Father, for you to continue to be glorified in all that we say and do. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, we've been studying 2 Corinthians in Sunday school class, and, and we're in a place in 2 Corinthians um, where Paul is back to defending um, his ministry. And Paul is accused of being strong when he writes a letter, but he's weak when he's physically present. And what's going on is, just to kind of fill you in, in 2 Corinthians Paul has established this church in Corinth and somebody has come in behind him and trying to tear it down. And really their, their goal is to tear down the gospel. But the way they do that is to try to tear down Paul and his character. And he's again, one of the accusations they make is that when he writes you a letter, he's strong and he's bold. But when he's present, he's weak. Well, Paul addresses that. And, and this is one of those times, I believe, that those people would have been pointing to and talking about how Paul is so bold. Look, look at the word, look at look at this writing. Look at where Paul's at. Uh, first of all, before you do that, verses uh, chapter eleven, verse one starts out with, "Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ." So Paul's kind of laying the foundation of, "You can follow me because I'm following Christ. Don't make me your measuring stick." Let Christ be your measuring stick, but you can imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Then he addresses head coverings and what's right and wrong about that and how they're doing it and what weight it carries and what weight it don't have. And, and you know, they're trying to navigate their way through whether or not the men should or the women should or nobody should or everybody should. And Paul's kind of walking them through all that. And then we get to where we started reading in verse 17 and he starts out with, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. So I'm fixing to address something y'all ain't doing right. I'm fixing to get hard on you. I'm fixing to give you words that cut to the bone. I'm fixing to say things that hurt your feelings. I do not commend you as a church in the way you've done this. I don't ever want it to be said that the way we've done things in this church can't be commended. Right? And the only way for us to do that is, again, to know and understand why we do what we're doing. Where does it come from? 
So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. He says, following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, you come together for the not for the better, but for the worse. And in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So the first thing Paul's going to talk about, address here is, is I hear whenever y'all gather as a church that there are divisions that y'all ain't getting along. That y'all seem to be arguing and bickering and biting at one another. Now I know we'd never have that problem so I can skip that and move right along, right? That would never be an issue with us. Well, it would because of one thing. The reason I know it would be an issue with us is because we're all still human. We're all still wrapped in flesh. We all still let self rise up from time to time. And I want it my way and Kevin wants it his way and Big Daddy wants it his way and Eddie wants... We're, we all have that inside of us. And what I, would, what I would be sure to tell you about that is you're not the only one that deals with that, but the important thing is that you are dealing with it. In other words, that you're trying to suppress self and even when things aren't going the way I want them to, I don't allow it to be a division between us that I'm, a, I'm able to suppress self and go, we'll address this at some other time if necessary, or to just put pride completely inside and go, what difference does it make? Who cares what color the carpet is? Who cares what the temperature of the room is? I'm worried about a temperature far hotter than what it could possibly be here, Right? So a lot of times the things that we bicker about and the things that seem to divide us really and truly don't matter. As a matter of fact, in marriage counseling and, and the things that Amanda and I do with marriage, we've found a thing that somebody said it. We didn't come up with it. We ain't smart enough to. But somebody says somewhere down the line when they talk about disagreements and arguments, would it matter in five minutes? Because they say 80-something percent of the things that couples fight about five minutes later would not have even mattered. Some people have even gotten divorced over things that if they had talked about it, had just waited five minutes, it, it wouldn't even matter. It was the timing of the situation. Most of the things that you and I disagree about, ten minutes later, it wouldn't even matter. It wouldn't even care. We wouldn't even care. So, so slow down a little bit and try to make sure that when we have these divisions that it's not based on our flesh. That it's not based on I'm selfish and I want it my way Listen, that's, that's at the root of every one of us. If you don't believe that, look at how society operates today. We've been watching the food that built America. You want to sit down to some wholesome entertainment. Flip over to the History Channel and watch the food that built America. It's actually pretty interesting. But what all of the things are based on is what will people buy and what do people want. Well, I can tell you what people want. Look around our society. We want to pull up at the first little microphone, tell them what we want. We want to go to the first window and give them our money. We want to go to the second window, get our food, and all of this needs to take less than three minutes. If it don't, we're mad. Because we're a, I want what I want, and I want it now. That's our, it's at the root of every one of us. They know that. And they're making billions of dollars off of that attitude that you and I have. You know they sell way more microwaves than they do crock pots, right? 
And all of this is based on, I want what I want, I want it now. Right? So that's at the root of every one of us. And that's what Paul's talking about in some of these divisions is the selfishness that causes that. Keep going with me. And I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. The reason I know there's some problems is because they recognize the ones that ain't got those problems. In order for them to shine, there must be something going on, right? Keep going, we're trying to get to a different place. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat because all of these things are going on. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. The Lord's Supper is not supposed to be like just any other meal. It's not supposed to be we just do it because we always have. It's not supposed to be done for the, for the focus of fellowship like we do the rest of our meals. It's not supposed to be done each one, each to his own. Right? It's supposed to be done in a certain manner. It's supposed to be done with a certain mindset. It's supposed to be done, the process is the way it is for a reason. It's not supposed to be that I come in and just go ahead and grab mine up and go ahead and, and eat and then somebody else has to do without because I was selfish about it and I couldn't wait on everybody else. It isn't meant to satisfy hunger. As a matter of fact, at the end where we stop just one verse too short, we'll hopefully get that far. But Paul tells them, eat at home. <laughs> Don't let this be for the purpose of, of, of quenching hunger. That's not its purpose. This isn't meant for each individual to go about it in his own way. You see what he says, don't you? Some, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And before he says that, he said, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for it's done this, because it's done this way, that you've, you've completely destroyed it. Now it's not even the Lord's Supper anymore. You're just eating a meal. Some of you's going hungry, some of you's eating on your own, some of you's getting drunk. And it, look at this in ex, this exclamation point in verse 22. What? Right? Some, some of you are, some of you are, are going on without everybody else. Some are going hungry, some are getting drunk. What? Why would you do that? How could you possibly get to a place in your mind that you think that's okay? This is a, this is a sacred thing. You know, you know the, the problem that you and I have today with things being sacred is, we, first of all, we don't have any idea what that means. Second of all, we don't know what to make sacred and what not. Right? Again, we're selfish. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. So it's got to suit us. We don't, we, the the, the, the uh, holiness of things. Look, I'll get on to something here that will make all of you mad. Like our new sanctuary. Look, we'll fly in there. It's beautiful, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Absolutely beautiful. We'll say no eating and no drinks. Won't we? And everybody be on fire for it for about a week. 
And then somebody will get up hungry and they just can't stand it. Or they'll, or they'll give them little munchkins they brought with them, a bag of goldfish, and they'll be scattered and crunched. When, when really and truly, when truly and honestly, <laughs> nobody, nobody is safe. You know, when, when Paul says, what? Nobody is safe. He's talking to everybody. When in, in reality, the reason we can't understand and we can't treat something like the Lord's Supper as holy or sacred is because the fact of the matter is we treat nothing as holy or sacred. We just do what we want to do and whatever appeases to us and whatever makes it okay for us and we just run with that. See, it's, it's like in the, in, the Lord's, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer when, when Jesus is teaching them how to pray and He says, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Right? And that's set apart, right? That, that's, that, that, that esteems God to a level that nobody else can attain. Well, it's hard for me to teach my daughter how to respect God if I don't even teach her how to respect me. If I don't take the time to teach her how to respect them. See, we don't make anything holy, anything sacred because we don't want anything to be sacred. Anything. That's how they got to this point. How could you possibly ever take the Lord's Supper for granted? How could you possibly ever not put it in its proper place? Well, it's pretty easy. We don't put anything in its proper place. So, in, first of all, in order for us to understand how sacred this is, we've got to understand that some things really can be sacred. Some things really can be holy. Some things really can be set apart and really should be treated differently than everything else around it. That includes you as a Christian. It is possible that you are holy. We're called to be. It is possible that you are set apart according to Scripture. So therefore, we shouldn't look like the rest of society. How do we keep our Lord's Supper something different? We keep treating it as something different. We can't ever let it become just an opportunity to gather up and eat. That's not the Lord's Supper according to what Paul just said. He said, because of the way you're treating it, it's not even the Lord's Supper. You've completely defiled it to a point that it don't even resemble. Some things are sacred and should be treated as such. This is one of those things. And Paul goes, some of y'all are getting even getting drunk. What? Look at what he says next. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Do you not have another place where you can do all this other foolishness? Or is it that you just despise the house of God? Holy smokes. I'm telling you, Paul, when they said in 2 Corinthians, he's awful strong behind that pencil. They wasn't kidding He's pretty strong with his words, ain't he? He's pretty blunt with things. He, don't, he doesn't make it feel cushy. He doesn't make it feel fuzzy. Right? He just tells it like it is, which is exactly what you and I need, which is exactly the way it ought to be. 
Look at this. He keeps going. We're still trying to get to another place. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? <laughs> no, I will not. I won't commend this kind of behavior. I won't, I won't allow this to continue. The purpose of going through all of that part of this, I could have started right here where we are now. The purpose is I wanted you to see the importance. I wanted you to see the weightiness of the Lord's Supper. Again, I don't ever want it to be that we just come in and do it because Nick and Kevin say that's what we ought to do. Because Wales Baptist Church has always done that, that's what we do. I want it to be something that's sacred in your mind. I want it to be something that's special and set apart and holy. Something that's completely different than any other meal we ever do. I don't ever want it to just be out of habit or out of tradition. Look at the weightiness. Look how weighty this is according to the way Paul is addressing them in mistreating it. Now, I'm not in any way saying we've ever mistreated it. I'm not saying that at all. But what I do want is for you to see what it looks like in Paul's mind when you do go about it the wrong way. When you don't take it serious. When you do mistreat something that is so sacred. But look, look at his words. Look at how he addresses this. Look at what he tells them. Look at the warnings that come with it. And there will be some of those later on as well. Alright, so here we go in, in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, the night, first of all, before I go there, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This isn't the first time that Paul has talked to them about the Lord's Supper and communion, right? He says, I received it and I delivered it to you. In other words, he's readdressing this. He's already, he's already delivered this once. They already know what's right and wrong about it. But he's readdressing it. What's happened is they've got to taking it lightly and mistreating it and not taking it serious and it's not sacred and it's not holy and it's not set apart anymore for them. And he says, I got it from the Lord and I gave it to you. But since you've forgotten what I gave you, I'm going to give it to you again. And he says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. So they're, they're in the upper room, right? They're, they're gathered around. They're fixing to have this, this communion, this last supper, this Lord's Supper. And all the disciples are there. And Jesus takes bread and He breaks it and He gives it to them and He calls it His body. Is it physically His body when He hands it to them? No, it's not. It's, it's a cracker, right? It's a piece of unleavened bread, if I'm not mistaken. But he calls it his body. See, everything physically here is a representation of something spiritual. In, in this instance, this bread that Jesus calls his body never physically was his body. In other words, nobody at the table ate Jesus. Okay? And now Sunday that we do this, do any of us eat Jesus? And I say that out loud because as a child hearing this, I can remember sitting there looking at it going, uh, I don't know about eating the body. 
And then I tried to reason through in my mind, so did the people that was with Jesus when this was established really eat His body? The answer is no. Nobody ever ate Jesus' physical body. What they ate of was a representation. So physically, this morning in your little cup, uh, your little I don't, package, the top part of it is a cracker, a piece of unleavened bread, just a cracker. And physically, that's all it is, is a cracker. As a matter of fact, at times we have broken up saltines, right? Because we didn't have anything else. Physically, it's just a cracker. But spiritually, it represents Jesus' broken body, which was broken for you and I. Right? And it's to do in remembrance of Him. So every time we see that, every time we have this, every time it's passed around, every time we partake of it, it should bring us to a place in our minds to remember that the reason Jesus' body was broken was because I was a hell-bound sinner. And without His broken body, that's where I go. And it should remind me of that. And that's what should make it holy. And that's what should make it sacred. And that's why it can never be just like any other meal. And that's why it's not meant to satisfy your physical hunger. Because what you're taking part in is a spiritual representation that serves as a reminder of who our Savior really is. And where our hope should really be. Again, it's just a cracker. You can get them gluten-free. You can get them with salt or without salt. You can get them puffy or thin. These we got now taste like plastic. <laughs> but it's okay. Because it doesn't matter what it is physically. What matters is what it represents spiritually. And spiritually, whether it tastes like saltines or plastic, spiritually, it represents the broken body of Jesus and it serves as a reminder to you and I that without His broken body, we don't have a chance. In and of ourselves, we cannot do this. In and of ourselves, we can't get back to what God originally intended for us to be and that is a reflection of His glory. We can't do that. Without Christ, we can't do that. Without His broken body, we can't get there. That's what this is about. That's why this is so important. That's why we do what we do. Not because the Baptists say you should or and, and how many times you do it and how often you do it. They'll all argue over that. Listen, as long as every time you do it, that it serves as a reminder to you that this is the broken body of Jesus that without which I have no chance that's what matters. That's what's important. Let's quit arguing about the crap we don't agree on and start talking about what we can all agree on. The importance and the holy sacrament that we're about to partake in here just shortly. Let's take the time to explain to our kids what it is and not just slap their hand on the plate and tell them, no, this ain't for you. It is for them as long as it's done in the right way. As long as the understanding is there, it is for them. Or maybe it's just because you're using it as a time to teach. You know, one time when we were still in the sanctuary, which feels like many years ago, it wasn't that long, I know, we did 
communion one Sunday morning and my little nephew at the time was either two or three years old and he he was wanting to and and they were his parents was telling him no not you know so I got him after, I seen all that so I got him after service and he and I went up to the table and he's two or three years old and I gave him an explanation of what that cracker was and I gave it to him and I gave him an explanation of what that juice was and I gave it to him at three years old does he understand that probably not but the next time he hears it won't be the first time he's heard it. See, sometimes we just have to take a little extra time and explain things even though we know they're not going to get it. Even though, But we're not going to let it be clowned about, right? We're not going to let it be played with like it's a big toy. We're going to go about it the right way and take opportunities to teach our children. See, the reason they don't know things are holy and sacred is because we ain't never told them. They ain't seen us do it. We've got to be careful with that. You and I have to really be careful with that because it's easy. Listen, I want what I want when I want it. And it's easy to just run right on through things and forget about being able to teach them. Forget about taking the extra time that it takes to explain it to them because in the back of your mind you go, they don't understand. Okay, you may be right. They may not this time, but how do you know they won't? How do you know? So take the time. Let's keep it sacred and holy, but let's not just push them away because they don't understand. Help them understand. You go, well, I don't understand. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> so you can understand. So you can help them understand, right? That's, that's the whole purpose of this. Okay, so let's keep going. So we've had the bread that's really bread. It's genuinely bread, but it spiritually represents the body of Jesus, right? In verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now look at verse 25. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, now you notice the quotation marks we got right here. This is Paul quoting Christ, right? So he's just repeating what Christ has already said. He's, he's had the body in, in our cup right here. We've got juice. And when we were doing it the old way, I would say it's probably Welch's grape juice like come off the counter at the grocery store. And that's probably what it is. And again, was it ever physically Jesus' blood in a cup that anybody drank? No. But spiritually, that's what it represents is the shed blood of Jesus Christ without which there is no remission of sins. Think about that. The, the sacrificial lamb, the only thing that could possibly cover our sins was blood from the very beginning. Adam and Eve are in the garden, living it like they're supposed to be living it. Then... They go and eat off the wrong tree. The only one in the whole garden you can't eat off of. They got talked into it by the serpent. They ate of it. As soon as they ate of it, they realized something wasn't right. They go and grab them some fig leaves for covering, for coverings, for clothes. God comes walking through the garden. They're trying to hide from Him. When He finally talks to them, the first thing He does is make them some coverings out of fur. Which means something had to die for those sins. Right? Even the very first ones. 
And ever since then, it's, it's been an ongoing thing, or starting then, it was an ongoing thing of something had to die for the remission of sins. Christ became the ultimate sacrifice. No more sacrifice needed. He came here and walked a perfect life so that He could be the sacrifice, the last blood shed for the sake of sin. And that is represented in a, a little cup of juice. Physically, it's just juice. Obviously, they were still using wine because Paul said some of y'all are going hungry and others are getting drunk. Either way, that's not what it's for. What it's for is to be a representation, a reminder for you that when you drink that, that cup, a reminder that Jesus shed His blood on your behalf on my behalf because there was no other bridge that would get me back to where God wants me to be in a right standing relationship with Him. The cross was that bridge. The shed blood of Jesus Christ was that bridge. And without it, I don't have a chance. That's what that is about. That's, what, that's why this is sacred. That's why this is holy. That's, this is not about getting together and doing something we've traditionally already always done. It's about keeping it sacred and keeping it holy and letting it really be a reminder. You know, I got on a kick one time. All of our tables that we use in our, in our churches, most every church you've ever been in, they have an a offering table or a, a, a communion table. And the front of it will say, this do in remembrance of me. It will be engraved in it. Ours is that way. You know what we do when we have communion? Throw a tablecloth on it and cover it up. Now I know that ain't no great big deal and it ain't worth arguing about. But at the same time, it symbolizes what happens inside our heart. We're more worried about what it looks like. We're more worried about it being pretty than it being exactly what God wants it to be and that is a reminder This is meant to be a reminder. This isn't supposed to look like anything else we do. Nothing else God told us to do or Jesus told us to do takes place of this. This serves one purpose. And that's to remind you and I as God's children, as Christians, that Jesus' body was broken, His blood was shed so we would have a chance at a right relationship with God. And that's the purpose of it. And when it loses that purpose, just like Paul says, it's not even the Lord's Supper anymore. It's, it's, I mean, what are you doing? You think I'm going to commend this? I will not. Keep going. We're almost there. I was going to try to be brief today because all y'all missed that hour of sleep last night and y'all look kind of drowsy, so... <clears throat> Verse 25, where we just was. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This isn't something we're supposed to do in secret. It's off, every time you do this, you proclaim what does it mean to proclaim something? Shout it. 
Let every, make sure everybody hears it, right? This is a proclamation of our faith in Jesus Christ and the fact that He is who He said He was, the Son of the Most High God. It's our proclamation of our faith. It's our proclamation that we believe He is who He says He is. So if it's not a reminder and it's not a proclamation, what are you doing? Why are we doing it? What's the point? That's the two purposes that we have in doing this. Not because we always have. Not because we always should. Not because brother such and such instituted it years ago and we think he was a great guy and we do this so we can remember him. No, it ain't about remembering brother such and such. It ain't about keeping up a tradition. It's about remembering that without Jesus' broken body and shed blood, we don't have a chance, so He done it for us. Right? It's about proclaiming our faith. We don't do it in secret. We don't hide and do it. We're not quiet about it. It has purpose. And as long as it has that purpose, we can. We, it, the rest of it doesn't matter. How often, when, what day, how many Sundays a month, whatever. None of that matters as long as the purpose is in place. So many times we, we miss the purpose. We put the tablecloth up and forget the purpose. And I ain't mad at whoever does the tablecloth. Don't I, I'm just I'm just ranting about that and I'll quit. Verse 27. Because here's here's a place where people get a little bit confused. This is one of the places where I was confused, to be honest with you. I had a bad misunderstanding of, about this this part of things. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I had, I, I want you to understand something. There's no possible, what, what if you take this to mean, and a lot of people do, that you have to be in right standing with God or you can't take on. So tell me at what point you're going to be allowed. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't saying you have to be perfect in order to be a part of this. Because if that was the case, all of us are disqualified. Right? But He wants you to examine yourself. Right? He wants you to, to look at self, to self-evaluate. He goes on to say that if we would spend more time judging ourselves, God wouldn't have to judge us. Right? If we would self-evaluate and be honest with ourselves and look at ourselves and see the things that don't belong and commit to make those changes, commit to cling to, to God more and to self-less, if we would make the commitment, if we would just recognize these things, the unworthy manner of this is letting it not be what it was meant to be. The unworthy manner of this doesn't mean if you have sin in your life, don't take that chance. Because I can tell you right now, he goes on to say some are asleep, meaning some have died because of this. We'd be laying folded over, every one of us. Because if you think there's absolutely zero sin present in your life right now, me and you have, need to have a different talk. We're still wrapped in flesh. We're still imperfect beings. 
This isn't about you being perfect and being in a place where you're suitable for this. You and I are not suitable. Remember, what's the remembrance? That His broken body and His shed blood, without it, we don't have a chance. So you can't get to a place where you're worthy of this. If you're thinking sinless means worthy, you can't be. In and of yourself, you're not capable. In and of myself, I'm not capable. Now I can pursue godliness and I can, I can pursue righteousness and I can, I can do everything I can do to imitate Christ and I believe I can get to a point where, where self is, is really, really limited. But I'm afraid as long as I'm wrapped in this flesh, perfection may be unattainable. Maybe. The jury's still out. Can I be so much like Christ? Man, I dream of a day when I could walk so close to Christ that I do not make a single mistake. I would love, I just don't want to say that's not possible because then that's going to crush some dreams I have. But the reality of it is, am I there today? Now, I know it's probably not likely because I ain't there. I ain't met many people that I believe are there. I've met nobody that I believe is there. Man, I really want that to be my goal. I, I walk so close to Christ. I want it to be that when I, when I get to heaven, it ain't that much different from right now where I feel like I've already been in His presence. Which I know, I'm, I'm stretching it out. I, I realize that. I ain't trying to confuse you. I'm just telling you, if you think you're going to get to a place where you're worthy, then we can probably just quit doing the Lord's Supper altogether. But that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to be a reminder that without His broken body and His shed blood, we don't have a chance. The only chance we have is that He did what He did on our behalf. Keep on, we're almost done. For, verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Without discerning, without self-evaluation, without self-evaluation, not evaluation of those around you, self-evaluation. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Part of what separates us evidently as Christians, right? Is that God disciplines those whom He loves, He chastises, He disciplines. So some of the, see, some of the proof that I am where I think I am is the discipline that God hands down. In other words, some of the conviction, some of the, some of the, the discipline. The discipline is for correction. Right? The discipline, that's what my daddy always said anyway. It's what my mama claimed. That they done it because they loved me. I was the most loved kid y'all ever seen. Y'all ain't never seen a child no more loved than me. 
Daddy drove me out at 4 o'clock in the morning on his way to work and whooped me for what he thought I might do that day just so he wouldn't get behind before he got home. Verse 33, and we're going to wrap up. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things I will give directions when I come. Paul's planning on making another trip and there's some other things he wants to address then. But he wanted this. Again, it shows us the weightiness of the importance of getting this right. That he addressed this in the letter. That he didn't wait till he was present. This couldn't wait. It had to be, it had to be addressed now. It shows you the weightiness of this sacrament. The weightiness of what we're doing here. How important it is. What it really means and what it's supposed to represent. It's not supposed to represent food. You're not supposed to be filled by it. You're not supposed to get drunk off of it. It's supposed to be a reminder that if not for the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we don't have a chance. And it's supposed to be an opportunity for us as Christians to proclaim our faith in His death, burial, and resurrection. That's its purpose. And as long as it's got that purpose, it don't matter if it's prepackaged, if it tastes like plastic, what flavor the... Hey, one time somebody bought some juice that wasn't the right color. I wish y'all could have seen the looks on the faces when they uncovered that stuff. See, y'all remember that. They uncovered it and that stuff was orange or something. Pink. Just about throwed everybody off their game. But what the purpose was still the same. The representation is still the same. It doesn't matter what color it is. It doesn't matter what it tastes like. What matters is that you do it in remembrance. That you allow it to be a representation of a broken body and shed blood and it is a reminder to you. And that it becomes a proclamation of your faith. That we don't do it in secret. That's what matters. That's what matters. So now, I hope you received one this morning, a prepackaged. See, I wouldn't let Amanda open mine earlier because I was afraid it'd get stale before we got to this part. She tries to open it for me because I've been struggling with these things, but what she didn't know is I done figured it out. If you'll peel that top layer off, it's a wafer in there that is a spiritual representation of the broken body of Jesus. This is not part of Jesus' body. This, the, the disciples weren't given a part of Jesus' body. But it is a spiritual representative. And he says, this do in remembrance let it be a reminder above anything else. Block out everything else and focus your mind on the importance of the broken body of Jesus Christ. Don't let it be done in secret. Let it be a proclamation of your faith in Him. Let's pray. Father and our God, we come to You right now to say thank You for Your broken body. Thank You, Father, for the instructions of 
how to go about this. Father, I thank You that You saw fit to give me opportunity for a right relationship, a shot at holiness, a shot at righteousness. Father, I thank You that You made a way and it came through the broken body of Your Son, Jesus. I pray that this never be anything but a reminder of the sacrifice You made. And it's in His name I pray. And next, they, they passed the cup. There was never Jesus' blood in anybody's cup. Physically, there was, His blood was not in the cup. Just like it's not, this is nothing but some kind of juice, some kind of grape juice. Physically. But spiritually, it represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ without which there is no remission of sins his his blood covered all the sins let it be a reminder let's pray father and our god again i thank you for your shed blood of your son i thank you father that that you made a way father that that you you set forth a path that nobody, nobody could get to You except through Your Son, Jesus. Father, I thank You for His shed blood that made that possible. I pray, God, that as a church, You never let us take this opportunity for granted. I pray, Father, that we never, ever, ever do it in secret. And Father, I pray that it always serve as the reminder that You intended for it to be. I thank You, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is uh, one of those messages that it's hard to hard to figure on a uh, what you would call invitation. Um, but I do want to have a closing song, and I do want to give opportunity because. Sometimes you come in the door with something on your heart that you was looking forward to, an opportunity to um, get that off your chest, to take that to the altar. So I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm going to ask Chris and them to um, to come on back up here and, and uh, lead us in a, in a song, and, and this will be that opportunity. I pray that you take advantage of this opportunity to just um, self-examine. And again, we're not for the purpose of trying to be perfected in some way, uh, but for the purpose of um, looking yourself over and seeing something that may or may not um, belong and an opportunity to, to take that to God and allow Him to show you how to deal with whatever that may be. Um, and again, maybe you come in this morning with something on your heart and this is the part you've been looking forward to was an opportunity to get in this altar and hand it over to God. I encourage you to do that this morning. Um, Y'all sing with us. Stand, please.